Hey, Church of the Beloved, happy Easter. <clears throat> and for those of you guys that are joining us online for the first time, man, we're so glad that you can join us today. Now, let me just begin by acknowledging that this month has been a crazy uh, time and a challenging time for everyone. You know, for me personally, this quarantine has got me doing things that I normally kind of don't do in my normal daily life. I, I found myself eating like 19 times a day, like before lunch. And, uh, but my wife, on the other hand, in this quarantine, she's actually getting more fit than ever before. Uh, she's found this uh, online trainer called TikTok. Uh, if you know, if you know, you know. And, uh, and so it's this app that kind of uh, teaches you how to dance and you can dance with. And she's kind of got into it recently. And so she's just ticking and talking all day. And, and she's, you know, getting fit. Uh, my son, on the other hand, he's just playing with toys and uh, all day. And the same toys just over and over and over again. But he's loving it because he has no school. And so I'm kind of worried that he might look back on this time and say that, you know, the coronavirus was the best time of his life. And so, um, but all this to say that I think we're living in some historic times. I think we're living through historic times. Like, I don't know if there will ever be another time in our lifetime where on Easter Sunday, people were, were not allowed to gather to worship. And while church buildings are closed on this Easter Sunday, I just have this sense that more people will tune in today to hear about the resurrection of Jesus, maybe more than ever before, because people are looking for good news. And I want to suggest to you that the good news and the best news is that Christ has overcome death. See, there's two questions that you have to answer, whether you believe in the resurrection or whether you don't, whether you have a conviction about the resurrection or you have questions about the resurrection, there's two questions that I believe every person has to answer. And one is this, is it true? And the second is, do I believe? See, because what you think about Jesus is probably the most important thought you'll ever have in your life. And the decision that you make about Jesus is probably the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Tim Keller, in a book called Reason for God, he says this, The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he actually rose from the dead. Today, for our church, we're finishing up a sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. And in the last chapter today, we're looking at this extraordinary claim that Jesus lived, and he died, and then on the third day, he rose again. Mark chapter 16, verse 1 says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And so the story begins for us by introducing to us three people um, that, went their, that went on their way to the tomb to see Jesus and to see where he was buried to anoint his dead body. Now I want to stop there because this is significant in terms of understanding the character and who's in the story. Now this is important because by introducing to us these three people, it gives us an insight into whether the resurrection actually happened or not. This is important because if the resurrection did not actually happen, then the gospel writers, Mark, would have had to come up with a convincing story, a, a fake story that he fabricated and just made it believable. So it's important to see 
who the first witnesses were. And Mark writes, and the Gospels write, that the first witnesses to see the empty tomb were actually a group of women. This is incredibly important because in the first century, women were not actually considered reliable uh, witnesses or, or sources uh, or, or, or uh, people that would actually even be allowed to testify in court. Women were not allowed, and they, they said that that's not a reliable source. And so to have women recorded as the first witnesses is a huge insight that Mark could not have been making this up, right? If the resurrection did not happen, why would you say that the first witnesses were women who were not even credible accounts or witnesses in court. That's not what you would want to say, unless that's actually what happened. Not only was it women that were the first witnesses at the tomb, but to make matters even worse, these weren't just any woman. One of the women was a a woman named Mary Magdalene. And according to the same Bible that we have, Mary Magdalene was actually known to have at one point in her life seven demons, seven unclean spirits in her that were casted out. Seven, okay? That's a lot. Like we're not talking about seven parking tickets. Seven demons, unclean spirits in her. I want you to think about the reputation she might have had in her town. I want you to think about if God were to entrust the most important message in all of history why, why, would, why would this message go to someone who probably had a tarnished reputation? I mean, just think about it. Someone who had seven unclean spirits in her. How many people do you think she can convince about the resurrection? How many people do you think would actually follow? You know, how unconvincing is it that your first witnesses were not just women who, whose testimonies were not even allowed in court, but a woman, Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons in her If the resurrection did not happen, what a horrible way to make up a story unless, unless that's actually what happened. And so the story goes on that the women were making their way to the tomb with spices. And they're going because Jesus, they believe, was dead. And so they would go to anoint his body and prevent it from uh, perhaps smelling worse than it is and perhaps to uh, prevent uh, it from decaying. And, and so they went to the tomb with spices, meaning that they did not actually believe Jesus was alive. And can I just tell you, if you're having a hard time, or if you've ever had a hard time believing in the resurrection, I have good news for you. So did the first followers of Jesus. The first followers of Jesus did not actually believe or expect a resurrection. Read the story in Mark. None of them, none none of the women went to the tomb excited for their first Easter service. None of them dressed up. None of them them were there to to celebrate a risen Lord. They, They went with spices and with sorrow because they believed he was dead. They didn't go to the empty tomb on that particular morning, counting down like it was New Year's, ready for Jesus to come out any moment. You know, they weren't there saying five, four, three, two, one. They were there because they believed Jesus was still in the tomb. Mark chapter 16, verse 2 says that when the sun had risen, They went to the tomb. On that first Easter, they went to the tomb with spices and with sorrow. And I just want to suggest to you that no one expected that when the sun had risen, that the sun 
had risen. Nobody, everyone doubted, no one believed that the resurrection actually happened. And so these women on their way to the tomb were asking each other, they're they're having this conversation. They had the spices, but they're asking each other, who's going to roll away the stone? They're like, not I, not I, not I. Who's going to roll away? So you're going to do it? You're going to do it? And on their way to the tomb, that was the big question for them. Who's going to roll the stone away? And little did they know that that question was actually irrelevant. Because when they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone had already been rolled away. And Mark tells us, and every gospel tells us, that they saw the stone rolled away and they entered. They entered. The real question for the woman was not who's going to roll the stone away. The real question was why. You know, when I was a kid and and when I used to hear about the story of Jesus and the stone being rolled away and him rising from the dead, I thought that the stone had to be rolled away because Jesus was stuck. That's what I believed. I thought that made sense. That, of course, the stone had to be rolled away because Jesus couldn't get out. As if that's the only obstacle he can't overcome. But I've come to realize that the stone was rolled away not so much for Jesus to get out, but the stone was rolled away for people to get in. I read over the Gospels one more time this past week, and I looked for every opportunity to see, is it the stone being rolled away that allowed Jesus to walk out? None of the Gospels, none of the Gospels actually say that it was a stone that caused Jesus to get out. But every gospel says that when the stone was rolled away, somebody got in. The woman got in in Mark. In Luke, in the gospel of John, John and Peter actually get in. And what happens is as they enter into the tomb, they would see and they would believe. The stone was rolled away not so Jesus can exit. The stone was rolled away so the woman can enter. And it was what they saw that changed their life. And these women would see and then become eyewitnesses of the resurrection. If you're still wondering, man, is this true? Let me just tell you, the resurrection doesn't begin with blind faith. The resurrection story, the gospel movement begins with eyewitnesses. And these women who were not credible uh, test. Incredible witnesses in court, they entered into an empty tomb and it changed the rest of their lives because they saw and they believed. And these women would make their way into Galilee and they would tell Peter and they would tell John and they would tell all the disciples. They would tell whoever they can see. And these disciples would then go into the tomb. They would see and they would believe. And then they would go out into the streets of Jerusalem and they would tell people and they would declare to people that Jesus whom you crucified, he is actually alive. And that was their message. And let me tell you, they actually gave their lives for it. Not every gospel writes about the birth of Jesus, but every gospel writes about his resurrection because that's actually what happened. 
Matthew, tax collector, turned follower of Jesus. He wrote about it. He documented it. Mark, who traveled with Peter, who saw Jesus, who saw Jesus die, and then who saw the empty tomb. Mark, he wrote about it. Luke, in his opening line in his gospel, says, I have carefully investigated everything. And he decided that he needed to write an orderly account to Theophilus so that he would know for certain what actually happened. And he documented it. The gospel writer John, he ran to the tomb with Peter. He says, I ran faster than Peter. But he ran to the tomb with Peter, and he got there first. And he, it says that he saw and he believed, and he decided to write about it. He documented it. And these first century witnesses were so convinced of the resurrection that they would testify to this particular message at the cost of their lives. It didn't matter if their circumstances didn't change because they changed. The resurrection changed their lives. And you might say, well, it's just because they have incredible faith. You ever read the Bible and say, man, I, I just wish I had faith like that or faith like him or faith like her. And you, you might say, well, they just had incredible faith to believe in the resurrection. But if you read the Bible again, you'll see that none of them believed or expected a resurrection. You see, they weren't convinced because of what they believed They were convinced because of what they saw. The stone was rolled away, not so Jesus can get out, but for people to come in. Not for his exit, but for their entrance. They came in, they saw, and they believed. And that was enough for them to give their whole lives for it. For this one message, that Christ has risen. The Apostle Paul, you might be familiar with him in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 8. I'm going to just read this for us here. It says, For what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, right? And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Let me just pause there. Someone asked a psychologist, would it be possible that all 500 people could have been delusional or hallucinating at the same time? And you know what their response was? Their response was that that is so unlikely that that would actually be more of a miracle than the resurrection itself. Verse 7 says, Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, And last of all, he appeared to me, talking about Paul, as to one abnormally born. Now, I I, I don't want you to skip over this too quick. In verse 7, it says that he, Jesus, appeared to James. What you might not know about James is that he was the half-brother of Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who did not believe in Jesus. He didn't believe in Jesus while Jesus was still alive. But he came to believe Now, I want you to just think about that. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus while Jesus was alive, came to believe, right? Do you know how hard it is to believe that your sibling is the son of God? Some of you have siblings. Some of you have brothers. I have a younger brother. Do you know how impossible it would be for me to believe my brother is the son of God? 
I'd be honest with you, there's times when I thought, man, is he the devil? On the inside, I, I didn't say it, but on the inside. Right, there's probably times you looked at your sibling and said, man, I, I've questioned that. I, I've wondered if, if he's the devil. But definitely not the son of God, right? Like no one who has a sibling would say, man, my, my brother is, he's got to be the son of God. Yet James saw and he believed. You see what really convinced them that Jesus was God in the flesh? It wasn't Jesus' teaching and it wasn't even his miracles. What convinced them was his resurrection. You know, I say this at every Easter I get to preach, but I think it's true that it's easy to disagree with what people say, but it's almost impossible to disprove what people saw. Can I remind you that the resurrection story is not one of blind faith, but there were eyewitnesses account, eyewitness accounts, people who saw the empty tomb, people who saw Jesus, and they believed, and they went into the streets to declare the good news and the best news that Christ has risen. And so upon entering the tomb, these women would come and see that Jesus was not there. The angel of the Lord would say to them, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See, the resurrection is not only reliable, but friends, the resurrection is relevant. The resurrection isn't for something for us to look at and say, well, good for him. Good for Jesus. No, the resurrection is something we look at and say, man, good for me. That is good for me. That is good for us. That is good news for the world. You see, for the believer, it means that we have every reason to keep trusting Jesus. And for the unbeliever, it means that we have every reason to start trusting in Jesus. This resurrection is relevant for the whole world. It's, it's relevant for you. For those of you that are joining us, maybe for the first time, maybe you're not even a believer, I want to tell you this resurrection story is for you. Because everything, everything hinges on the resurrection. Listen, if, if there is no resurrection, and there is no Christ, you know, there is no Christianity, there is no church, Right? then how do you go from not even one person expecting a resurrection to to Christianity becoming the national religion of the Roman Empire in just 300 years to which they would change the official day of worship to Sunday, and now years later we have over 2 billion Christians around the world. How does that happen? Let me tell you. It happens because he lives. It happens because he lives. You see, when Jesus came alive, the church came alive. When Jesus came alive, witnesses would go out and preach the gospel, and thousands would put their faith in Jesus, and they came alive. People who were far from God came near to God. People who were lost were actually found. People who had no hope now had a living hope because he lives. That's what the resurrection does. Because he lives, I live. Church, because he lives, we live. If you were to fill in the blank, I'm alive because blank, 
what would you say? I'm alive because blank. Would you say I'm alive because I breathe? I'm alive because I have a job? I'm alive because I have my life together? Or I'm alive because I'm healthy? Let me just say this. The fundamental reality for the Christian is this, that I'm alive because he's alive. I'm alive because he's alive. If you're wondering, how does that make sense? What, What I'm not talking about is a physical or an emotional condition. I'm talking about being spiritually alive to God. I'm talking about that where my old heart, and you're realizing and you're recognizing that my old heart was dead, that my old heart had had just wanted nothing to do with Jesus. It did not desire Jesus. It only served me. The Bible calls this being dead in sin, but my new heart serves Jesus. My new heart desires Jesus. The Bible calls this being alive to God. It's, it's one of those things you realize maybe after knowing Jesus, that before Jesus, you were actually dead. It's, it's one of those things maybe that it, it, it's after you've tasted and, and, and knowing him, you begin to realize that I was actually dead, but now I'm alive. I was thinking about how do I explain this? What, what's an analogy here? And I thought about I thought about, you know, it might be like when you have tasted and experienced something so good for the very first time, like Jenny's ice cream or or maybe Korean barbecue, and it's so good. And you're like, man, where have you been all my life? And it's so good to you. You realize, you look back at your life and you're like, man, I was dead before, but now I'm alive. Amen. By myself. You might be asking, Even if the resurrection is true, you know, why should I believe? What does the resurrection have to do with me? And I want to say, and I want to remind you, the resurrection has everything to do with you. God raised Jesus from the dead so that you too and me and you and we, the world, can be raised with Jesus too. So that you can have a new heart and experience his life in you. It's so that you can have this heart that is Godward now. Not a heart that just serves you and you only, but a heart that is now for God and to God and lives through God and for his glory. It desires Jesus. It desires his word. It desires and seeks his glory. It imitates his likeness. It trusts in him because this new heart is Godward now. That's why he rose from the dead, so that you can be raised with him. The resurrection does not change God. The resurrection changes us. Let me say that again. The resurrection does not change God. The resurrection changes us. You know, in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, it says this, He, meaning Jesus, was delivered to death for our sins and was raised to life for what? Our justification. Not his, mine. Not his, yours. For our justification. What that means is that Jesus rose for us. He rose for us. He rose for our justification. Now, now if you're not a Christian, I know that's a fancy word. Right, I'm still not sure what that exactly means, but, but I'm going to give it a shot. Justification. 
to be justified is a legal declaration in which God pardons the sinner of all of his sins and accepts and accounts the sinner as righteous in his sight. It means that God was raised to life not just to cancel our sins, but to credit us with his righteousness. You know, I recently listened to a sermon from a uh, ministry called Surge, and where Pastor Josiah explains it so well, and I want to just read you some of the things that he's said in that message. He, and I quote, he says, Jesus did two things for me. One, Christ died for my sins. On the cross, he transferred my record to Christ and punished him in my place so that by faith, my sins were paid for by Christ on the cross. But Jesus had a record too, a perfect record. And when I believe the perfect record was transferred to me legally so that my legal record before God is perfect. And then he goes on to say, you know, suppose you um, owe a bank a lot of money and you had debt. And suppose the bank actually took pity on you and forgave you and canceled all of your debt. He goes on to say then what would happen to your account is it would come back to zero, meaning you owe nothing. And he calls that forgiveness. But he says righteousness is so much more. He says, I quote, righteousness is all the money of Jesus' merit in my bank account. It's his positive account credited to me so that I have the riches of a righteousness that I never earned credited to my account legally as I stand before God. With God, you don't just want to be forgiven. You want to be made right. Forgiven is wonderful, but right is better. He says, I stand before him not just with my sins washed away, though they are, but there's a second part. He says, I have a righteousness that is not my own, and because of Christ, it makes me acceptable in the Father's sight. He delights over me, and he he welcomes even me into his presence because of the righteousness of his Son. And he says, that, that is the good news. That's the gospel. That's what's happening in Romans chapter 4. That's what happens, that's what happened with Abraham in Romans 4, 3, it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Later on in verse 23, it says the words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Hear me out. And so 2,000 years ago, God sent his one and only son. And he not only died for you, but he got back up for you. Did you hear me? 2,000 years ago, God sent his one and only son. And not only did he die for you, he got back up for you. We can't even get out of bed sometimes. Amen by myself. He got up for you. He was raised for you. It's good news for you. The resurrection has everything to do with you because it means that there is no sinner he can't save. 
There is, there, there is no obstacle he can't overcome. There is no problem he can't fix. There is no storm he can't calm. There, there is no hunger that he can't fill. There is no thirst that he can't quench. There is no desire that he can't satisfy. There is no need that he can't meet. There is no virus that he can't heal because there is no one like Jesus because he died and he rose again. The first witnesses were women. And these women told the disciples. And the disciples told somebody. And they would go into the streets of Jerusalem. They would go into every town and they would tell somebody. And they would believe. And the people that believed would then tell somebody. And they believe. And those that believed would tell somebody. And they believe. And they would tell somebody. And somebody would tell somebody. And somebody would tell somebody. And somebody would tell somebody. And years down the road in 1995, Somebody told the gospel the same message of his resurrection to another woman who was born into a Buddhist family. And this woman was actually my mom. My mom in 1995 heard the message of the love of God, of his life and his death and his resurrection. She heard and she believed. You know, and I as her son got to witness firsthand how Jesus changes lives. I got to witness how the resurrection actually changes people's lives. You know, she was before Christ, and she still is now. She's always been this loving and social, you know, sacrificial, just hospitable person, the nicest person that that I know in the whole world. But you know, I'll tell you the truth, that before she came to know Jesus, Growing up in our home, she would always fight with my mom, my dad. She would always argue with my dad, and it would always be about finances. She would always argue about money. You know, my mom in the house was the saver, and my dad was the spender. Some of you married people know what I'm talking about. And so they would always argue. You see, for my mom, money was her security, You know, she had this belief that if she can save enough money, that somehow money would save her. But it never did. Because you can save money, but money will never save you. But God in his grace and mercy extended his love to her in 1995 and she came to know Jesus and God gave her a new heart. And I saw my mom change. I saw what Christ can do. I saw what the resurrection power can do. I saw what the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead can do in a person like my mom. She had new desires. She had new life. She had new heart. Desires that were now Godward. Man, she loved to pray. She still does. She loved loves her Bible. She loves Jesus more than anything else in the world. She loves to worship. And, and this new life for her came with great joy. My mom smiled more than ever before in her life. And she began showing Christ with her siblings. She had three siblings and she began to share Jesus with them. And she would, now, she would slowly turn a, a, a family that was raised as Buddhist and she would slowly turn them towards Christ. Her mom, uh, my grandmother, never actually came to the faith. She never actually accepted Jesus. And several years ago, I was there with my mom when my mom got the phone call that my grandmother, her mom, had passed away. I was right next to her. 
It was a heavy moment for her. And she hung up the phone, and I saw tears um, in her eyes. And after some silence, I asked my mom, I said, Mom, are you okay? Are you okay? And you know what my mom said? She said one thing. She looked at me with tears in her eyes, reflecting her mom's life, and she said this one thing. I wish she knew Jesus. I wish she knew Jesus. Her one last thought was not, I wish she lived a little longer. It wasn't, I wish she didn't suffer. Her one wish was, I wish she knew Jesus. It was clear to me that to my mom, Jesus had become her greatest treasure. It was clear to me that Jesus had made such an impact. It was clear to me that the resurrection is not just reliable, but it's relevant. It was clear to me that the resurrection has life-changing power, that the same power, that same spirit that rose Christ from the dead now lived in her. And I saw how God changed her life and made an impact on her life and that impact had an impact on me because just two years later in 1997 I came to know Jesus I heard the message I heard the gospel and I believed and I want to tell you friends it filled me with joy I realized up to that point I was dead but now I'm alive to God I was so filled with joy that I wanted to tell everybody that I knew and I began with my younger brother who at some point I thought was the devil I shared the gospel and the love of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus to my younger brother. And within one year in God's grace, my younger brother came to know Jesus. And I'll never forget the night he came to know him. Because at that church retreat, he could not stop jumping and dancing and worshiping and singing. Because Jesus was alive. And he was alive in him. And it filled him with everlasting joy. And do you know why I share that? Because that's how the resurrection story ends. Mark 16, 8 says, you know, they went out from the tomb, the woman. And they went out with trembling and astonishment. And I read that, I'm like, that's a little bit confusing to me. But then you have the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 8. And I think he explains it a little bit better. He says, the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Afraid yet filled with joy. Afraid because they saw an angel of the Lord and they saw an empty tomb. Wouldn't you be afraid? They were afraid but filled with joy. Afraid because of an empty tomb. But filled with joy because Jesus has risen. I'm going to invite up the worship team at this point. And as I close, I just want to say this to you. For those of you that do believe, to the church, to the fellowship, to the people of God, may this truth, the truth of the resurrection, may it fill you today with incredible joy 
as you go about your week, as you finish off the year, as you enter and continue to, to kind of move through this pandemic and quarantine, may this reality of his resurrection, may this fill you with joy today, especially with everything going on today. May you remember that Jesus overcame death and he can give you the strength to overcome any situation and any season because the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you. But Maybe you've tuned, tuned in today and you're not a believer. Maybe you just had a lot of questions about Jesus. But maybe in this moment you realize that the resurrection actually demands a response. Maybe you've come to realize that that everything does hang on the resurrection. It's either fact or fiction. Maybe you actually are ready to take that next step of faith. Maybe you're actually asking the question, how can I have this living hope? How can I have this new heart? How can I live my life Godward? Maybe you're asking, how can I be saved? How can I know the power of his resurrection? And friends, I want to tell you the good news. There is no special prayer. There is no secret. The Bible is plain and simple. You know, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me read that to you one more time. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, today I thought that it would be proper for us to close um, just reminded of these words from the old hymn, Because He Lives. And we're going to sing this together in just a moment. But I want to read you t- the lyrics to you. It said, God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Church, Christ is risen. And this is where you say, I can't see you, but this is where you say, he is risen indeed. Let me pray for you.